0: At RealMetrics, we collect and analyze a ton of slot data, and we're hit up frequently for insights, tips, and tricks. So we decided to do a webcast in which we present, discuss, and otherwise nerd out on our work. Coming to you from our offices in lovely Leiden, the Netherlands, welcome to RealCast. Good morning, Don. How are things today? And... Gateway to the West.
1: Good morning, Nick. Everything's fine. Nice winter's day.
0: Okay, lovely. Yeah, if you notice, I, I keep trying to find new nicknames for your part of the world, so I just keep doing that. So, All right, so here we are. Uh, first episode of our second season, and I, I guess that's an accomplishment of sorts. We, we, we sort of arbitrarily decided that we'd synchronize the seasons with the calendar, so not exactly a call for a champagne or confetti here. Uh, but when we look back at uh, at why we decided to do this podcast, I must say that I'm 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 pretty happy with the results so far. Um, a lot of industry people have have reached out to us uh, with with compliments and questions, um, and. Really, some of these some of these interactions, I have to say, have, have surprised me. So first, it's a it's a very degru- uh, diverse uh, group of, of people, both functionally and geographically. We've we've heard from uh, people from all over the world, operators, consultants, journalists, uh, pretty much every flavor of banker imaginable, <laughs> and uh, and product folks uh, on the supply side. So that's that's uh, just phenomenal. And uh, secondly, when we've asked for feedback, the the depth of the observations has, has definitely exceeded my, my expectations. So the adjectives practical and actionable are on pretty heavy rotation uh, in these conversations. Uh, but I'd say that the the main thrust of, of what they're saying is that you know when it comes to topics like analytics, marketing, player behavior, segmentation, uh in in the gaming industry there's there's simply too much noise out there. And and some have shared examples. Uh w- one that uh, came to me from multiple sources was either uh it was an op-ed or a blog post, I I don't remember which, but it had market segmentation in the title, then went on to discuss nothing but floor layout. And and the comments were Hey, this isn't segmentation. This is just layout, right? <laughs> and, and and seeing how people are are isolating that distinction and conveying a a real thirst for the for the nuance uh, that we're that we're really striving for here, I must say that it's it's incredibly encouraging. It's just uh, always a great uh, always great to learn that your audience is smart. It it, it really makes our jobs a lot easier. So. Uh, thanks to those who've who've uh, reached out. Um, you know we have we have day jobs we're we're doing this for free. it's uh, It's not sponsored or paid in any way, and we we typically record these things on the weekends. We're doing this one on a, on a Sunday night. so so your encouragement uh, really keeps us going, and we we can't thank you enough for all that uh, positive feedback. Okay, so uh, season two, episode one. Now, if you recall, we devoted our last podcast to our top 10 insights of 2022. And the number one position was held by the insight that the best practices models out there in the industry uh, for inventory management are obsolete and must be updated. And as we've alluded to in a number of podcasts, uh, RealMetrics has actually created uh, a contemporary best practices model That takes into account all the changes that we've seen uh, to the industry's data landscape over the past decade or so. And and we refer to this model as demand-driven inventory management or DDIM so rather than throwing uh, that that uh, best practices observation out there and and doing nothing with it we thought it would be a cool idea to devote a few episodes to ddim and walk our listeners through it thumbnail exposing them to the to the main principles and techniques so before we dive into that uh, let me state uh, at the top here that we'd love to tackle any questions uh, anyone listening may have. So if you have a question about what we're presenting or something you'd like us to present, please drop us an email at realcast at realmetrics.com. Again, that's R-E-E-L-C-A-S-T at realmetrics.com. Our policy is to keep all questions anonymous. So please speak directly and don't worry about us revealing your identity. That's not something that we do. So, um, Today we're going to open uh, with the, the first steps in DDIM, the first in particular, which is which is really surveying the floor and getting a solid notion of your operational baseline. Mm-hmm. And then also introducing a number of analytical methods, which, although some utilize versions of them here and there, are not generally in the quivers of your slots and PA departments. So so that's really our topic for today. But before we dive into that, we want to cover Four points that we have to assume are in place before we start diving into this uh, survey. So, number one is that you've already committed to pursuing a new best practices model for managing inventory that uses player demand as the foundational vector driving every slot decision you make. We'd also strongly recommend, and this is uh, hopefully not uh, controversial for anybody <laughs> hearing this, but that marketing has a seat at this table uh, it's it, it it really is a unique thing about the the gaming industry that marketing doesn't have any role in the products that we're we're putting in our in our environment so there are a lot of a lot of reasons for this we we can uh, uh go on about that for for days but suffice to say we we strongly recommend that marketing is 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 involved um secondly You've um, uh, uh, decided that what you're going to do as part of this is you're going to target the bulk of your CapEx and OpEx spend to your top player segments, the people who are really driving uh, uh, all the performance of, of your casino and that we're going to prioritize based upon uh, that, that form of demand and, and patronage. Um, Third, uh, you've made a, a conscious decision that uh, that within this realm, this is the domain of proven product, not blind experimentation. For experimentation, you've committed to uh, getting far more su- uh, systematic about it, uh, allocating a, a small percentage of the floor share uh, uh, for experimentation. And this is the domain where you take uh, chances, and uh, and put stuff in there that's not necessarily proven elsewhere, maybe brand new to market. But the idea here is you really limit that to product that you can put in there almost on a consignment basis. So looking at it in terms of, of, of trials and and uh, very short-term commitments. And fourth, um, and very importantly, you've agreed to drop all assumptions regarding premium floor share and this notion of moving money around the floor. So as we've mentioned in, in previous episodes, we have conducted gigantic studies on this. What we're seeing is it's not really a force that, that uh, you need to uh, concern yourself with. So, um, so what we've uh, agreed then, then as, as it pertains to uh, premium product, uh, demand will determine floor share by supplier, by game type, by cost model, et cetera. So these are these are four core principles that need to be in place before we get going on the points that Don is going to cover today. And with that, Don, I will turn it over to you.
1: Thanks, Nick. I know it's a lot to cover, um, but the, the bulk of this comes down to getting the right machines on the floor, the machines that your best customers want to play, because that's where all your profit is. And whether that's a lease game, whether that's a core game, And the other big thing is the price of games keeps going up and up and up. Your CapEx budget is not, in most cases, unless you're very, very lucky. So the games that you're buying now are going to be on the floor for 10 plus years. And we know they're going to be obsoleted halfway through that. So it is making sure that the, the customers that you need to take care of are being taken care of. So we always start off with, You know, player demand. What are your host level players playing? Um, Are they playing your best lease games? Are they playing your best core games? And it gets down to a theme by theme, manufacturer by manufacturer study of what your host level players are playing. I would put together a top 50 theme list for your host level players. And then you start looking at things like are these games maxed out on the weekends? Can your best players get to these games? Are they having more than 8,000 spins per day? And if so, this is where you need to start. It's not starting with the brand new cabinets and the brand new themes that are being released in 2023. It's do you still have enough of the current things on your floor to meet the demand? And that's where we usually start. And most casinos don't have enough of the key themes. Whether it's premium or core, and we'll concentrate on core to start. And there's a lot of really good themes out there that are sitting there on the weekends that are just jam-packed with customers playing the minimum bet when you've got host-level players just waiting to play them. And these games need to be expanded.
0: And Don, you had you brought up something there that I that I. Uh, uh, it was, it was another, uh, I had heard a consultant in the industry say this least recently, which I really liked. And he said, you know, everybody in this uh, environment is always interested in having the latest and the greatest. And he said, now I want you to r- eliminate the word latest from your vocabulary. Would you subscribe to that idea?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we found that 70% of all new product fails. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to jump in and just buy the the latest product, you're going to have a high failure rate. Um, You've got to have that data, um, things like what RealMetrics supplies, to look at how these games are performing. Um, Vendors go through slumps. Vendors have good cabinets and bad cabinets, and vendors do produce a lot of themes, and a lot of them you're not going to see on your floors in two or three years So you've got to have the best stuff out there. And there's just a lot of floors out there that just don't have enough of the key themes. Um, There's some properties do a really good job of that. I've got one property that has 20 of the best theme on their floor. And uh, the competition has six. Yeah. And those 20 games are doing fantastic. Yeah. And, and 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 I think that's where we, we basically start on everything, whether it's lease or core, is do you have enough of these games that your host-level players want to play? Because yeah. they are driving your revenue. And conversely, your high-frequency customers, they will not play the new cabinets. So the customers that are coming 100-plus times a year, 150-plus times a year that have that low ADT, say below $100, they shy away from anything new. Mm-hmm. They don't play lease games. They don't play your new core. They play your obsolete games. They play their favorites, and they don't branch out. So they may be the majority of your customers as far as volume, but they have a very minimal impact on your new on your new purchases. Um, the average bets are too high for them, and they basically get stuck playing their favorite games, whether it's classic IGT or Aristocrat or side game stuff. It is. But they like to play, and if you look at their top five games, they are all classic games. Conversely, your host-level players, they play the new stuff. They play the volatile games. They play the lease games. Um, These are the customers that you really need to target with your CapEx. They are going to drive that high win per unit. Um, Some of it's average bet-driven. Your best customers will play that $3, $4, $5 average bet, Where your low ADT players are around that dollar per bet spin. So you really need to look at what your host level players are wanting and playing first. Yep. So the the next thing we look at is basically we start doing things like fair share analysis, Um, especially post COVID. The floors have changed a lot, Um, a lot of the older clientele have not come back, and it's really impacted the physical real play. The um, physical real play at probably 85% of the casinos uh, that we've looked at, um, there's just too many products out there on the floor. They need to be reduced. They need to reduce significantly, 25 um, to 50% at most places. Um, so we start off with a fair share analysis. We separate Don, the core Don, can from you, the
0: least. Can you kind of, because one, one thing I know is, although we, we assume that uh, everyone is uh, completely uh, familiar with uh, the notion of fair share analyses, can, can you maybe just provide kind of a, a summary of what that's all about?
1: Yeah, it's just basically looking at, it, it's a way to look at what your floor is in balance or out of balance with. So for instance, um, if your floor is 10% reals, Mm-hmm. And it's producing five percent of your revenue, you probably have fifty percent too much of your floor. yep um conversely, if your if your floor is penny video is doing eighty five percent of your revenue and it's only sixty percent of your floor, you don't have enough of that product. Yep. so it's just basically taking the floor size and then looking at the ratios of revenue and units mm-hmm. and coming up with a percentage. So 100% would be 50% of your floor is doing 50% of your revenue. So if video poker is 10% of your floor and doing 10% of your revenue, you're probably in pretty good shape. But if it's 10% of your floor doing 2% of your revenue, you probably have too many units.
0: Correct. Yeah. And I think it's important just to note for everybody who's listening that in mainstream retail, uh, fair share analyses are are just absolutely core to what everybody's doing in in segments such as, let's say, uh, uh, consumer packaged goods. They look at things. Like the amount of linear uh, shelf space consumed by something, and then what is you know what that product is, and then what percentage of revenue for that category, or even for the entire product mix that thing uh, uh, comprises. And then the idea is you know is this product punching above or below its weight?
1: Right. That's the the fundamental principle driving that. Right, and you can go as I usually do it by game type and by denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where you need to back out your premium from your core games because it will throw off your balances. And then look at it by vendor. Um, Every property is different in regards to what your customers like. Um, We've got casinos that are clients that they love dollar reels. And then we've got other ones that shy completely away from dollar reels. So everyone's a little bit different. So look at it as far as do they like this vendor more than another? Do you not have enough of this vendor? Do you not have enough of this game type or this denomination? Um, and you can use 100% as your balancing point. Um, there's some fine tuning you can do there. Things like dollar reels, they can be above 100%. Just because the densities on those games, the occupancy on those games is going to be lower. Sure. Um, you don't expect your dollar reels to be at you know, 75%. Um, occupied all the time it's more in that teens range mm-hmm. so those percentages can be higher where your penny video is you're going to have your bodies in the seats uh, most of the time so you know 100 percent fair share to 110 percent share is probably what you're aiming for um, unless you have unlimited capital and very few casinos have that you're not going to be able to uh, get everything to 100 percent but it's a great place to start. Yep. And then when you're looking at things like your lease games, I generally generally use 250% for my fair share. If you do have a lot of lease games on your floor, say above 20% of your floor, you can probably drop that down to 200% to where your lease games are doing two times house average. But um, 250% is so probably a pretty good spot to be at for your lease games. Um, there are a few casinos that are our clients that have jumped above that 20% range. Um and, and it does alter your calculations a little bit. But um, you know, two and a half times house average is a pretty good place to be.
0: And I think you've pointed out before, and we 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 have encountered this in the field where we have people who are let's say they have a lease bank of of this or that uh title, and they'll say things like, Oh, it's fantastic, it's doing five or six times floor and it has ninety percent uh occupancy, things of this yeah. nature. You say, Congrats, but that's not what you want, right?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, you're um, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. Um, all the studies that we've done, all the experiments that we've done show that the your high-worth customers are pounding those high-occupancy lease games, and when they can't get on it, they play less than they do when they play those lease games. Um, and that's one of the neat things about this is you can fix your floors with a small number of good games and especially on the lease side, the premium side, you can see the results in 30, 60, 90 days. Yeah. It is not something that's a long-term ROI. You'll see it within weeks. Yeah. And you'll see, and it's not just moving money around. It is, you'll see growth in theoretical per day for your best players. Um, you know, we've done these studies and we've seen growth of 50% on theoretical almost instantly. Uh, people play longer. They play more as their average bet. So you can fix this stuff and you can fix it pretty quick. Yeah. Right, so if, you're, if you've are you got games on your floor doing five and six times house average, um, congratulations, but you're making a mistake. Yeah. You need to expand yeah. that. Simple enough. So like Nick said, when you've got games that are having 85 90% occupancy, they need to be expanded, um, especially if you look at it and it's your best customers playing those games. Yeah. Um, we had an example, we had a, um, a case where we had a lot of low occupancy games surrounded by um, high occupancy games and we were trying to figure out why. So we talked to the property and what had happened was customers were sitting at those games, not playing, waiting for spots to open up on their favorite lease games. And it was just killing the performance of the other games that were actually halfway decent games. Um, once yeah, they rectified done. that situation, You end up with a $25,000 bar stool. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So once they fix that that situation, um, that problem disappeared and the units um, that were surrounding those lease games went up, um, which is something we'll probably talk about in the later episode of building neighborhoods and making sure that your games are in the right location for your host level players. But um, if you're looking at 85% occupancy, generally you need to expand Some properties are more weekend heavy. So you really look at those seven key shifts every week, you know, that Thursday night through Sunday night stuff. Look at those occupancy, look at those handle pulls. Um, If your occupancy on those days is super high, you're probably leaving money on the table on the weekends. um, And that's not a really good place to be. Um, On the core games, anything above 30% occupancy, you really need to look at expanding especially if you look at the win per units and the average bets on those games are above average. Uh, It's a great place to start. Um, They're easy calls to expand and your best players will love it. Yeah. Uh, Of course, the other big thing too is all the casinos, um, especially over the last 15 years or so, have had no smoking areas versus smoking areas or, um, If you're unlucky enough, you're in a a non-smoking environment like I was, um, you can see dramatic changes in win per units. But if you are in a spot where you've got both smoking and non-smoking, try to separate those on your occupational analysis and your occupancy analysis um, because they will impact your decision-making. I've had places that have had the best premium banks in smoking and non-smoking sections and the results have been half. Yeah, <laughs> um, them, but you know it's it's a great idea in concept to put those premium games in low occupancy areas, um, but it really can crush the performance of those games. Um, you know, putting your least games, your best least games in their best locations is not a bad strategy. Um, I've done both. Put them in areas where you want to try draw traffic to. And um uh, the performance does go down, even the best lease games will push the house average if you bury' them.
0: yeah, and there's a there's really a point on the the data landscape uh having changed in the last uh, a decade or so so. This one, like locational sweet spots and, and whatnot, this is something we track on on every single uh, uh, title that we cover. You know, what what portions of the floor, on which portions of the floor are these uh, safest to install? So that's another another case where you can where this uh, best practices model is informed by that uh, by that change. Where you can actually get systematic about that and and get uh, some quantitative data points on that.
1: Yeah, we usually break out the locations to letter grades, A, B, C, D, F. And most of your best games will work anywhere in an A, B, or a C location. But once you start putting them in a D or an F location, you will see a degraded performance. Um, And that's both for core and lease games. Um, There's a lot of core games that won't work in anything but an A location. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of core games that will work any place you put them. Um, and it's the same thing with the lease. You can put them in an A, B or a C, but if you do put them in that D or an F location, um, expect less performance out of them. It just doesn't happen. Yep. Um, and then the other big thing, too, is making sure that your floor size is right. You know, there's been a lot of changes over the last couple of years, and there's a lot of properties that have a lot of older games on the floor. And they still have large banks. You've got banks of 8, 10, 12. Um, if you're looking at your handle pulls on a monthly basis and you've got a lot of units under 25,000 spins in a month, um, you probably have too many f- machines on your floor. And it'd be a great chance to eliminate some of those obsolete titles, those obsolete cabinets, the ones that are costing you a lot of money in repairs and maintenance. Um, you can safely pull those games. Um, it will not hurt your revenue. There are. Especially for properties that have been open for over twenty years, um, we're finding that a lot of properties are in that twenty to thirty percent too big mm-hmm. because they have so many obsolete games that people are not playing yeah,
0: yeah. and And just to again, flash back to previous episodes, we also uh, have have spoken about this notion of dogs on the floor. Uh, you know, we had always come up in the industry thinking that, well, they're really benign forces on the floor; that they're not going to hurt anybody, and and you know, they may not be helping you, but they're not they're not hurting you. And and based on the analysis that we've done, some of these big big studies that we've uh, done, uh, really looking at demand, we see that they're are actually malignant forces on the floor, and that if you get the wrong people uh, uh, on those games, it can really impact their uh, how they're going to deploy their budget during their visit
1: yeah the um if they play their favorite games they they pound them if they get down to playing the games they have to play, they really throttle back on their yeah. spend yeah and and we're seeing this at, at a lot of properties just, like i said, especially post covid um there's a lot of older quarter reels there's a lot of old- older obsolete penny video out there that people just don't play anymore yeah um we had a couple properties we looked at for floor size and 25% of their floor gets played an average of once every four hours. And so, okay. you know, they just got a lot of dead spaces. There's no energy in those spots. Yeah. Um, especially if you've got those areas where you've got banks of six or banks of eight, you know, it, it's a great opportunity to right size those banks, get them the banks of four, um, those long walls, bust those up, have spaces in between, um, it will increase your play.
0: Yeah, I really have the feeling that the uh, those long linear banks are just, uh, that we're going to confine those to the dustbin of history, <laughs> I think is the way it's looking.
1: I remember going to Atlantic City years ago and walking to a couple of those places, and it was banks of 16, banks wow. of 20. You know, it'd take you half a minute just to walk around the other side of the bank.
0: A lot of bowling and, alleys. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and now, especially post-COVID, you're seeing a lot of banks of four. Uh, even the banks of six aren't traditional shapes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're more football-shaped or carousels. Um, you know, that's the one nice thing that COVID did was it made people – re-look at their floors and get rid of as many middle machines as possible.
0: Yeah.
1: So the, the next thing we wanted to look at was your core purchases. And like we said earlier, any machine that you buy now, you're likely going to have for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. So you've got to make sure you get it right. And th- the way we do that, obviously, is we'll use data. You're using performance data. You're looking at the depth of the library. But that is all after you make sure that you've expanded the games that are working on your floor right now. Do that first and then look for the new games. There's always that fear of missing out and there are some really good cabinets that came out this year, but there are also some cabinets that came out this year that are just doing house average Mm -hmm. and you cannot afford buying a a bank of machines um, for an average of $25,000, $35,000 a machine you cannot afford to have those machines go on your floor and do house average. Yep. And that's because you know, they're going to, we've talked about, it, I think the last episode that performance declines 10% a year, every year. Yeah. I was just going to mention so, that decay and in, in performance that, yeah, exactly. We had to say that it has to be factored in. Yeah. So you, you want those new core games to start off over one and a half times house average. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of new core games out there that are starting off way above that. We've got new core games that we're tracking that are over two and a half times house average that are pushing least game performance. Yeah. And that's where you want to start because um, you know that these games are going to be out there long term. Um, nice libraries. Even with the new cabinets, you're, you're going to have some choices. Um, and the good thing is, you put a game out there on the floor that's doing, you know, two and a half times house average to start. You're not going to have to worry about that game for the next two years because you know it's still going to be above one and a half times house average. Yeah. So that's a great place to start. So it's start with expanding the things that are working and then just hit those proven winners, those home runs. You don't have to get deep unless you're in an, that enviable position where you're buying 100, 200 machines every year then you can dip down a little bit lower. But for the majority of the casinos that are buying less than 100 machines per year, you can just start with those ones that are doing home runs and space your capital out. You don't have to buy everything in the first quarter. Um, I've done both where yeah. I've spent everything <laughs> by the end of March and others where I've kind of kept some powder dry for G2E sales. Um, it's nice to get all your capital and work uh, in early in the year but it's more important to get the decisions right. And if there's nothing out there that you absolutely want and need to have, um, wait. Yeah. Wait for the next next series of games to come out. There's always seven new themes coming out and maybe those are the ones that hit. So you can wait and make sure that you're making the right decisions. And Don, then for,
0: well, for 2023, I guess one, one of the things we do kind of have to factor in on that point is, Uh, I know you're in touch, uh, with the suppliers on this stuff, uh, 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 very frequently. So how are, how's everybody doing right now on supply chain issues and lead times and whatnot?
1: Um, much improved over this time last year. Mm -hmm. Um, and even over the fall, I think things started turning around last year in about the third quarter. Yeah. Um, there are still some cabinets that are taking six months to get back, um, some premium games, six months plus, Ooh. but generally they're back into that, um, eight to 12 week range. Um, so it's definitely gotten better. Uh, this time last year it was, you know, four five, six months for ordering. So there's been some, um, additional supply, um, put into the market. Um, uh, people saw the problems and it just took them a while to ramp back up and get back online. So. I think we're in pretty good shape now.
0: And would you generally rec- recommend for this year, just based on on all the work that we've we've uh, done over the the last year, as it uh, pertains to uh, premium performance and core performance and 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 demand and whatnot, would you generally advise people this year to kind of just pause a little bit on their current opex capex split and and just kind of let's say that they 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 haven't necessarily really Uh, dug into the whole demand side of things uh uh yet but is that do you feel that's generally an okay principle for moving forward
1: absolutely there's most properties have a budget for lease game and it's based on last year's budget yeah instead of player demand and there are so many good lease games that will improve your revenue and improve your bottom line um and I think that's probably the most exciting thing that we did last year, Nick, was on the experiments, we proved that we're just not moving money around when you spend money correctly. Yeah. That if you do it right, you will increase your host players theoretical per day. You'll increase their trips. Uh, you'll increase their average bet if you give them the games that they want to play. And a lot of the times, that's least games that they can't get on. Yeah. It's it's really been remarkable. It's um, we, you know it's it was every place that we looked at, and it started off with host level players, and their performance was incredible. I remember looking at one of them last week. The um, average trips per month nearly doubled.
0: Yeah, for, these, all these metrics are just uh, my eyes just popping out of my head every time I read one of these decks that
1: comes through. Yeah, it it, it and the number of people that they were serving um, for these key titles just went through the roof. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if you've got a bank of six of your best premium games, there's a limited number of players who can get on those games. Um, Your host level players will sit there for a long time and it's denying other customers a chance to play those games. Once you go from six to say 20, Mm -hmm. that player pool really expands. And then what we saw also was those places who went from say 20 to 30, 20 to 35. The players just below that host level, that 150 to 300 ADT player, they started getting on those games. Their average bets went up, their trips per month went up. Um, it was uh, it was interesting. It, it happened that at each property that we looked at. Yep. As kind and, of this
0: organic player development, just based on your mix. You
1: know? Right. We've always said that it was marketing's job to get them in the casino and casino ops job to keep them coming back. And the best way to keep them coming back is to give them the games that they like to play, give them the games they want to have. They have that good experience on. Yep. And right. It's it's the best we can do is, you know, have the friendly, smiling faces and great customer service. But um, given the games they want to play, that's what get them, gets them to come back. And so when you get back to the, the lease game problem, uh, it's a lot of money, uh, especially when you go from 20 lease games to 50 lease games. Um, we've had uh, properties go to over 20% of their floor being lease games. Yep. And they've had record years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they also they have record costs, but their their EBITDAs have just gone through the roof. Their customer satisfaction scores have gone through the roof. So you really can't put an artificial cap on lease games just because it's a budgetary number. Uh, you're really sacrificing revenue potential when you do that. Um, there are some properties who don't need more lease games. Their occupancy levels are low. Yep. Uh, they have enough, or maybe they don't have the right ones. But um, that's obviously key is making sure you have the right lease games. You should not s- settle for lease games that are doing 1.4, 1.5 times house average. There's enough lease games out there that are doing two and a half, 3, and 4 times house average that you shouldn't have anything on your floor below 2.
0: Yeah, and just just demanding more from them because as as we've covered in in previous episodes as well, as as opposed to core, you know what you what you can do is just maintain those very lofty performance levels over time simply by mixing the stuff up. So when when you start to see a, a given title dropping off, you just convert it or or eject it and replace it with another uh, uh, premium product. That's that's really one of the the most appealing things about that segment of products is just all that flexibility that it gets you.
1: Yeah, one of the big thing that people like to do, and I did the same thing, is you want to keep your floor fresh. Yeah. And that's usually using your CapEx dollars to buy new cabinets. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also do the same thing with your lease games. You can yeah. keep your floor fresh. You don't have to worry about the rising cost of cabinets. Um, like I said, you're going to have these games on your floor for a long time once you buy them. Um, and if you just buy the All-Stars, uh, you don't have to worry about these cabinets being obsoleted three and four years from now and not being able to touch them. And what you see out there on your floor now, that's doing 50 and $60 a day when per unit um, that'll be these games, you know, 10 years from now. So if you've got those lease games, it, um, it just makes the job a lot easier of picking all stars. Yeah. And yeah. yeah and we, we've seen it with new casino installs, uh, new casinos that have opened up. Um, you open up with just nothing but the best games and give your customers a chance to play the good games and play more of them. And, and that goes for both core and premium. But uh, the artificial cap on the premium is probably one of the things that we've seen hold most casinos back. And it's tough. It's it's not an easy conversation what your CFO is saying, I want to spend another $2 million this year on, on lease games. Um, but the good thing is, if you can convince them to do a trial for 90 days, you know, and get the manufacturer on board, say, I want to try this for ninety days and see what happens. Um, check out what happens to your host level players. Uh, it'll definitely be worth it. We're seeing returns on investments that are sky high. Yep.
0: Yeah. And and I've actually been now in in quite a few of these Uh, meetings where we have the CFOs in the room where we go through some of these validations and the work that we've done in the field and stuff. And boy, do those those guys gobble that info up. (laughs) They really like it. And and what I'm finding is that, you know, I, I think a lot of times the CFOs, they're looking at stuff that they can control. Yeah. And so, Right. I think that's always been uh, a thought behind purchasing. It's like, yeah, well, we can control the cost going out for this stuff, but we don't really have any control over the revenue. So when they start seeing that conscious decisions and conscious strategies to to break this stuff up, segment it, look at demand by segment, and then make your decisions and and uh, you know along that uh, uh, u- utilizing that calculus, and then they see that those are that those decisions pay off. Uh, what I'm seeing is that they're loosening the purse strings and they're, they're being far, uh, far easier in terms of, uh, putting the,
1: putting that OpEx out there. Right. It was always that age old problem is prove it. Yeah. You know, Yeah. I'm, you're going to spend more money, prove that it's going to make us more money versus moving money around. And the neat thing is over the last year we've proven it. Yeah. And, um, the CFOs, the marketing people, um, you know, all of our meetings that we had in Vegas with all the different organizations um, where we get to have the COOs and CEOs and chief marketing officers in the room. Um, very excited about a lot of the validations that we did. And um, you can see why, I mean, the, the numbers were, they weren't up 6%, up 8%. They were up 30%, 40%, 70%. Yeah, um, It made a big difference. And um, these validations They pay for themselves quite quickly. So, you know, even if you add another bank or two, you'll see the results and you'll see it if you pick the right games. Um, you know, look at look at that demand, look at that occupancy and check out who's playing those games and it'll definitely be worth it for you. OK, cool. Well, Don, I think
0: uh, so. We covered, you know, as you mentioned, what we want to do is just kind of orient people toward those just some some basic, like foundational principles that you need to have place as part of demand driven inventory management. And then today we talked a bit about these tools, uh, let's say fair share uh, analysis, occupancy analysis, in order to determine kind of the state of your floor and your your operational baseline. So that's that's really uh, what we wanted to uh, discuss today. And I think uh, as we um uh dive into uh, uh, the february podcast i think we'll we'll start getting more into demand and and how we're it, well more more into uh, the segmenting demand and getting more nuance out of it and understanding it in in greater detail. so I think that's uh, uh probably a decent uh decent objection for our for our next uh, uh, next
1: podcast. <laughs> excellent.
0: Okay. Well, great, Don. Well, thank you so much uh, uh, for your time today. And uh, yeah, well, uh, until until uh, February, I guess. We're getting close. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much, Don. Have a good day, Nick. You do the same. We'll see you. Bye bye. Take care.